The What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good morning. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group and host of the What to Know podcast. We are here live at Shifts, uh, the Shift Forum, uh, brought to us by Nuco, John Battelle, and uh, Brian Monahan. Uh, I have the pleasure of talking with another one of our speakers, Max Ventilla, not to be confused with Max Ventilla. Uh, he's a serial entrepreneur, uh, spent some time at Google uh, via an acquisition, and now is the CEO of Alt School. Uh, he gave a talk earlier today, which um, we'd like to touch on. Uh, but one of the things that really was fascinating to me, in addition to the fact that you were the founder, I believe, of Aardvark, which was a um, social question and answer site um, similar to Quorum, I think, although you guys actually had a much more focused uh, POV where it was like I had to declare what I was good at and I could answer questions versus uh, Quora where everyone can answer it. First of all, welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Um, but second of all, um, I would like to talk just for like one minute about what was the impetus for that idea. I didn't realize actually that Google bought you guys and what did they do? Like, did they take and bake that technology into their stack or was it really more of a talent acquisition? What was the impetus for the Aardvark yeah. with? We started the company, which was called the Mechanical Zoo because we didn't yet know what the product would be. Actually, no, sorry. The company was called Launching September because we didn't know. Not nearly as exciting as Aardvark. didn't but. know what the company would do, but uh, we kind of gave ourselves the arbitrary deadline that by the next September we would launch. Um, but we knew that we wanted to deal with um, kind of subjective search. So the category of search where you weren't asking for something that had a right answer, you were asking for something that was subjective. Um, and we wanted to make use of Facebook in particular, which had just launched Facebook platform, but what we would believe would be a wider universe of kind of social apps that would open up parts of their data and parts of their functionality for you know, third parties such as us. Um, and then we spent six months prototyping six ideas on that kind of variance on that theme. And Aardvark was the last idea. Um, so Aardvark was kind of about, um, you know, all your friends are in the answer business and you, you know things and lots of questions. The best answer would come from someone who's just like a very clear proxy for your... Wisdom of the crowd, right? Uh, well, kind of, kind of wisdom of the subset of the crowd that's actually a really great proxy for you. Um, and, uh, and then when Google bought us, um, you know, it was largely to bring in um, a, a team that, that had a lot of experience with search, had been spending a lot of time in the social arena, um, and ultimately to be part of, you know, what became Google's social strategy, um, where, you know, one of my roles was to kind of be responsible for social across Google as opposed to like plus.google.com. Um, but got to do some really interesting things, um, you know, with various Google products as part of that effort. And that, and that kind of naturally led to the work I did after um, around personalization across Google. So I do want to get to the personalization. I do have to ask one question, and I think I know what the answer is, but I'm always interested is why didn't Google Plus take off the way that you guys really wanted it to? I mean, it's still there. A lot of people still use it. Companies still use it for because it obviously helps with search. It's it's. 
I think kind of a brilliant platform, but it never really took hold like I think Google had hoped. And Google has had a little bit of fits and starts in terms of really getting that social element. They do the data and the content and everything really well, but I would love to get your POV on that. So first off, you know, Google Plus was about two things. Google Plus was about making all of Google social in a consistent way, and that was the main thing that I worked on. And I would say that categorically worked, right? So whereas before you had half a dozen different versions of social graphs, no consistent notion of profile, um, no no kind of clear audience or brand, um, that that is no longer the case. There is a much more consistent experience across Google. And I would agree with that 100%. You know that was that was kind of a really exciting thing to work on for a bunch of years. There was a um, uh, the second objective, which was to make a new destination that was a newsfeed style experience called plus.google.com. And I would say, you know, there there were two reasons why um, why that you know frankly didn't take off. Um, the first is, look, that that's a high risk, high reward endeavor. You're trying to create something that is competitive with Facebook, and Facebook only does that and does it incredibly well and does it with large scale and major network effects to its benefit. You know, so at its height, I think Google Plus maybe had a fifth or a tenth as many engineers as Facebook did. I mean, that's that's a different kind of network effect besides just the massive reach and audience and brand. Um, and the second thing is kind of smaller reason, but still notable for, for kind of entrepreneurs, which is um, plus.google.com was trying to do a few things well instead of one thing really well. Um, and so it was never totally clear whether it was a social network or a kind of news um, source or about your interests or, you know, so I think that kind of, uh, lack of uh, a very, very clear value proposition didn't help given the, the, the kind of first issue, which is you're just you're trying to unseat uh, an almost perfect competitor. Which reminds me, and you're probably too young for this, but uh, there was a Saturday Night Live, like an old Saturday Night Live, where uh, they talked about this particular thing being a dessert topping and a floor wax. And so, yeah, like you, 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 you got to be really careful about making something that's a dessert topping and a floor wax, right? It should exactly. probably be one first. It should be, it should yes, be one exactly. really well first, and then you right. can just right. be the second. But, but I think you're, you're touching on something that's critically important. You know, we, we do sort of target this at the business audience and our entrepreneurs, and that is the more singularly focused you can be, usually the better. And I'll use that as a pivot to you're now running this uh, company called Alt School. So first of all, I'd love to get a little bit, we I think heard some of this in your talk earlier this morning, but how does one go from leading personalization across one of the most well-known, smartest companies in the world to saying, I need to help fix education? That's a very ambitious leap. Um, I can see some of the sort of connection points, but I'd love to get your sort of take on what was the impetus and how did you make that leap? And then we'll talk a little bit more about how that's going and what it constitutes. So you know, when you work at a place like Google, it's really hard to go from that to working on something that that doesn't have social impact and that doesn't apply technology in a, in a kind of compelling business fashion. And so, you know, old school is at the intersection of 
impact and technology and business in a similar way. We also, you know, wanted to just not just work on technology problems, but specific kinds of technology problems. You know, you work on personalized technologies for a lot of years. Where can you apply that? In, if you ask schools in a kind of nutshell, what's the education that you want to deliver in the future? The word is personalized, right? And so there's a clear relevance there. Um, and then lastly, you know, I, I'd started and sold two venture back companies. Um, I felt like I needed to have a third and, you know, there's that entrepreneurial addiction to doing it again, but that I wanted this one to kind of be for life and, and to spend the rest of my career on it. And, you know, I, I have a, my co-founders and I, we have a 10 year vest at alt school and our kids will be in alt school for a very long time. Um, education was the, you know, the, the big 10 problem that we cared about most deeply because we had little kids. You know, so there's no way I'd be starting all school if I, if I hadn't been a dad, and if um, if education wouldn't have been absolutely top of mind among again, you know, the the dozen or so you know big problems that I could really devote myself to. Yeah, but it is ambitious, and I give you the you know tons of kudos because there are problems like that, similar to the environment and others where it's like, oh my gosh, this is such a big problem. How do you make a dent? So with that, talk a little bit more about alt school and it's the applying of technology and really thinking about this theme that's been here at Shift is scalability. Um, and I think right now you're in a few different cities in California and one in New York and growing and you have a 10 year horizon. Um, so give us the elevator pitch and then let's talk a little bit about how you're applying technology two schools and then and I have a follow-up question to that one so you give us the answer to that. Alt school is building a platform to enable effective personalized education in a physical classroom setting. And we obviously work on some key pieces of functionality, like mechanically being able to have different kids at different stations, you know, doing different things in the classroom at one time and being able to get a kind of dynamic view of a student's progress over time. But essentially you know, we bring in the best of what already exists in terms of content and applications and research and services from the broader ecosystem. And that requires you to kind of build some pretty significant functionality, um, which, you know, in turn has pushed us to take um, this kind of hard tech approach where we're doing a lot of research and development prior to when we start to focus on scale. And we're doing that research and development, not just with a bunch of engineers, but with engineers who are directly partnered with educators in our lab schools. So one of the things that makes Alt School unique is you've got you know, 50 plus technical people and 50 plus career teachers under one roof where the teachers are spending a very significant fraction of their time directly working on parts of the platform in addition to their kind of main job, which is providing high quality experience using that platform. But the, the engineers are all spending a huge fraction of their time in the classroom and using the tools themselves in practice. And, and so that's a kind of very, very special thing to have with the ambition that ultimately, you know, what we use to support our own schools can support a growing network of schools that can all benefit from each other, not just from, from us. And you're starting to see the first wave of those schools with, um, you know, three partners 
who are working with us this year to take advantage of what we've built, but in settings that we don't control with very different kind of standards and curriculum that they're focused on than what we use in our own schools. So that does help answer the second question, which was how do you mitigate this risk, right? That's the thing. Uh, we had uh, Debbie Hopkins, who's the chief innovation officer and the CEO of, of City Ventures on before, and we're talking about how big companies have a hard time turning the battleship. Education, I think, falls into that same category. Obviously, that's a smart way to do it. So you know you've got the track record and the innovators, and they're sitting in the same room. So another, I think, key takeaway is you know, when you can have those two parties mixing, you can come out with a great recipe or you know a great uh, formula for success because of the fact that you know people that know what needs to be taught, but you also have the people that can sort of use the technology to help codify that and scale. That's right, that. and that's that's the kind of full stack approach that that you know we believe really works across different sectors today and requires a long timeline and a lot of capital and a particularly talented cross-functional team, but. Um, but in some ways, you know, we've reached a tipping point where it's it's feasible to operate in that way. Whereas ten years ago, it, it wasn't really reasonable to be a startup that was doing technology and was doing real estate and was teaching, you know, or like serving patients or you know building buildings. So this is a kind of exciting new era, I'd say, for entrepreneurs and also for 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 capital. Yeah. So I do have um, a related but shifting gears question. So. Um, there's a little bit of irony that, you know, you're here today, you gave this talk, this has been such an amazing past few days. Uh, and yesterday we got the, at least in my mind, the somewhat disappointing news that, uh, we have a new secretary of education who barely by the skin of her teeth made it in, has no, you know, I'm not saying she's not a smart woman, but has no background in this. Love to get your quick take. And I don't mean to make this political, but clearly I'm sure that felt a little bit like, damn, that was a hard one to swallow. You know, we're we are optimistic that that she and you know others in the administration can bring changes and improvements, but are very hopeful that those changes don't kind of come at the cost of what's working and don't come, you know, without um, without understanding of kind of why a lot of the things in our current education system are there uh, and how hard it's been to build up um, some of the some of the pieces of the kind of federal regime that work. Um, Is there a potential this could help you in that sense because you do bring a, a new POV to the table? You know, we're, we're still really small. We're still really early. Um, the impact of the kind of federal government on education is, is somewhat limited. You know, in education, it's, it's mostly about the state and local level. And for us, you know, we are, we're still very far I would say that the next administration secretary of education is probably um, uh, more relevant for us. But alt school, alt school is about enabling uh, diversity of education models, and um, you know, and and we're not starting out trying to help the kind of vast majority of students who are in district public schools because we think that's a harder problem to solve and we, we don't think that we're ready for it now until you know, we, we, we do more, we show more uh, so progress. Really so you really are more platform than you are uh, philosophy in terms I of- I mean, we are, our aim is to provide you know, a utility almost that enables 
very, very different schools. We are not about standards. We're not about curriculum. We're not about content. We, we are opinionated in terms of overall educational philosophy, which we'd call kind of progressive education as kind of defined by the Wikipedia page, right? Which is not a new aspiration. This stuff has been around for a hundred years, but we believe that digital technologies, you know, built through this kind of hard tech, user-driven, collaborative approach with educators can provide the kind of enablement that's been missing for, you know, in the long term, the average school to operate in a much more personalized, progressive way where, where kids are still learning all the things that they need to learn. It's not like you go into an old school and my daughter isn't learning math and English and history and science, but she's learning it in a way where she has real agency she is much more interested and motivated and she's getting used to having to deal with kind of ambiguity and synthetic thinking and change in a way that her future life is clearly going to require. Right. No, that's smart. Um, and I love the, the thinking behind it. So final two questions. These are the same questions we ask almost all the speakers. Uh, one is meant to impart wisdom. The other is just a fun question. Any business books that you've been reading over the last, you know, year or two and god knows you've had a lot on your plate so uh you could argue that uh you know i'm focused on my purpose but yeah i, w I wish i had my like bookshelf right now um i uh you know if i think back i there's a book written by stephen gary blank called like five steps to the epiphany um and uh and it was really instrumental as we thought about um you know aardvark and took a very user-driven approach and it's it's one of the things that's influenced like Eric Reese and the lean startup movement a lot. Um, I think that's a wonderful book. I've been reading a lot of books about management. They're pretty dry. Um, but, um, I think it's just incredible the degree to which great organizations that are highly profitable have a competitive advantage in, um, professional development and the kind of growth mindset of the executive team and the ability to be good managers in specific ways. And yet most companies don't work on it directly. Most startups don't work on it directly. So it's something that, you know, is hard to make room for, but I think that it's an arena where like not reading a couple of those books and it almost doesn't matter which, you know, four and a half star review Amazon books. Right. I, I have a couple, I can't think of them right now. That's fine. And, and that was a good, I mean, really it's getting behind the philosophy and just a, tip to share. So Chris Satchel, who's the chief product officer at Comcast, shared one yesterday, Team of Teams, um, which he found was interesting. It might be one as you're looking at these that uh, could be an interesting one. So the final question, um, and then I do want to let people know where they can find you. Desert Island, you're there for the rest of your life. You can pick one album. What's that album and why? Um, I think it'd have to be the, the Beatles' White Album. Um, just not even because it's my favorite thing to listen to, but if I was really on a desert island. It's the most interesting so and the interesting, most diverse, right? It's so deep. You'd be finding things in it for, you know, a long time. And, and it, it brings back, you know, the kind of nostalgia. Um, there's a lot of memories there. So that's the one. That's I like. a, it's one of my top five. And it's funny because I've, I've mentioned that. Some, uh, Brian Monahan asked me mine yesterday and that came up. Well, anyway, really, really appreciate this. We have uh, Max Ventilla, who is the CEO of Alt School. Um, tell us where people can find you on Twitter and your website or whatever if they want to get involved or learn more about the what the initiative. So altschool.com is our website. Um, you know, we're especially interested um, for great teachers and um, and great schools that would want to kind of 
use the platform we've built um, to enable the experience that their students have. Uh, and there's also kind of blog posts and videos and things like that for people who are, who are interested. Um, we encourage them to check it out. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure. This is Aaron Strout. I'm the CMO of W2O Group and the host of the What to Know podcast. Um, again, broadcasting live from Nuco Shift Forum. Thanks again, Max. It's been a pleasure sitting down with you. Thanks, Aaron. Want more episodes of the What to Know podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Check them out on iTunes, the podcast app, and the podcast page at w2ogroup.com backslash what to know.